Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our show. I'll be joined by Tom Crean, the head coach of Georgia. They've got one of the best players in the country coming in, and Anthony Edwards. Talk about that recruiting class, his coaching style, what he thinks of basically player development, uh, and a little bit on the three-point line that'll be potentially coming into existence uh, next season. I think it'll all pass. Also be joined by Adam Zagoria. He's a national college basketball reporter. He's got his own blog, Zag's blog, also contributing writer for the New York Times and Forbes. Before we get to that, a couple things very quickly here. Number one, John Beeline, we talked about this last week because it all went down last week where John Beeline left the University of Michigan to go to the Cleveland Cavaliers. It all happened last Monday. We discussed that with Brandon Quinn from The Athletic. Since then, I caught up with uh, John Beeline, uh, just chatting with him very quickly at the NBA Draft Lottery last Tuesday in Chicago. And I will tell you this. First of all, this was an opportunity for him at age 66, 67 to do something that he wanted to do, flirted with the Detroit Pistons the previous year, and the timing was right. You know, he has done pretty much all that he could do outside of winning a national championship, played for two of them in 2013 and 2018. His health is good now after getting a scare a year ago, having a heart procedure. And he recruited high-character guys. Uh, the ones that finished their eligibility, graduated. It was a dozen years of high-level success and taking Michigan back to an elite level on a consistent basis. It was a program that deserved and earned the respect. I will tell you this, that one of the reasons he left, outside of all the timing, because the timing was right for him, and Mike Ganzi, the, the assistant GM at Cleveland, played from West Virginia, so that made sense. Tom Gilbert, he's familiar with him, the owner of the Cavs. He's from Michigan, lives in Detroit, even though he went to Michigan State. If there's one thing I know that bothered John Beeline, it was all the transfers and guys leaving early. The ongoing investigation that spun off the FBI investigation, that isn't what would have driven him out because that's still dealing with a smaller population the bigger issue for college basketball that will have to remedy itself at some point here is all the transferring that's going on. And that has really shifted to the student athlete side where they are benefiting more and more. They're not being held up. Uh, appeals are being granted waivers. You know, coaches have learned the lesson that you never win the public narrative of holding a kid back, but 
a lot of kids look for a quick fix. If look, if there's a coaching change, makes a lot of sense. If you're getting recruited over, makes sense. But there's no question. There's a high number of transfers going on. Number two is the NBA draft. We'll see if Jordan Poole makes in the second round. We'll see. I'm not confident, but maybe I'll be wrong and and I'll be proven wrong. But we've gotten to the point now where everyone wants to go, see their name, but how many are ready to play? And I had a really interesting conversation last week with Jameer Nelson, former All-American from St. Joe's, led them to the 2004 Elite Eight. And then TJ Ford led Texas to 2003 Final Four, both played the NBA for a long time. And we talked about how to retain these college players because they know better than I do and they know better than a lot of these guys that you need to be ready to play, to contribute, to potentially get a second contract. That's what you have to be ready to do. And a lot of these players think they are when they're not and they'll end up in the G League or overseas or somewhere else. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's what they want. And maybe they want that harder road. And we'll see if the G League can ultimately end up being a a league that is more sustainable in terms of financially um, and becomes a better option exposure-wise. I am a believer, though. And if you've listened to this podcast for the last couple of years, and I'm not just shilling for college basketball because I work in it. The reality is someone like Zion Williamson made tens of millions of dollars more by playing at Duke than if he were in the NBA or G League, but not a star as a freshman, as a rookie, excuse me, right out of high school. I'm still on record all for going back on that rule, which ultimately I think will happen. You want to go, go. And I'm not on the other side. I don't believe in the baseball rule either. When you go to college, stay as long as you need to stay. But I just know from my own experience that it's just more beneficial to go when you are ready to play. That being in the G League does not equal at a high level of college basketball. Okay? The exposure you get by playing at a school like Duke in Carolina, you can go down the list, being on television, becoming a mainstream name in the NCAA tournament. You cannot compare that to the obscurity in the G League until you potentially make it. John Morant from Murray State, he'll be a top three pick. He was under-recruited, obviously. He became a household name because of the way he played in the NCAA tournament by knocking off Marquette. There are so many more examples of that, of players looking the NBA right now in the, in the respective conference finals. Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson, where'd they go to school? Weber State, Washington State, Steph Curry, Davidson led them on the incredible run to the Elite Eight. So there is not one straight path and it's not bad to stay in college basketball if you get better, even if it's just one extra year. And Bruno Fernando from Maryland is a great example. And Grant Williams of Tennessee, another great example. They weren't ready. Now they are. Cassius Winston decided to come back because he is who he is. He's not going to become suddenly Russell Westbrook. So why not try to be the national player of the year and win a national championship, something that will stay with you the rest of your life? 
he's got the next X amount of years to try to become a professional. So I think he's making a great decision. Trey Jones at Duke. Could he be in the NBA? Yeah. Was he ready to make a huge contribution offensively? No. Now, he's in a different position. His brother's in the NBA. So financially, I would assume he doesn't have that pressure. And every decision is individual. I get that. But there's not a negative to staying because those can be some of the best years of your life if you use them accordingly, if you certainly take advantage of what is in front of you. I will continue to stay on the soapbox. I'm not shilling. I'm speaking, I think, the truth. Uh, I'm open to all these other opinions. And the thing that Nelson and Ford told me is what they'd like to see, because they agree that these guys could or should stay in longer, but they'd like to see more programs really focus on the development of the player and having the right development person there so that these players don't feel like they need to get the workout guy that the agent sets up. And I think a lot of the high number, you know, first of all, a lot of schools do do that and maybe they could do a better job of that and work the two things where, yeah, you're there to work within my system if I'm the coach and help us win, but also my job is to get you better. And they should work in concert. You should become a better player, potential pro, while also being able to work within the system if I were a coach that you are developing or that you run. So those are all things that can work in concert and potentially could help retain these players. And one thing I'm going to bring up to Tom Crean that I'm a big believer in, I don't want to see any more limits on number of hours that you can work out. You know why? Because it's on that student. You want to go in the gym for four or five hours every day? Sure, go ahead. But make sure you're doing your work academically to stay eligible. So we all can budget our time And if you don't, there's a consequence. It's that simple. You shouldn't have a restriction on how much you want to work out. And we've gotten a lot better with that, but there's still more to go. All right. Let us get to our interview with Tom Crean. And joining me now here on March Madness 365, Georgia head coach Tom Crean. And uh, Tom, a number of things I want to unpack with you here. I mean, first of all, uh, we're in the throes of finishing up spring recruiting. And your recruiting class has been heralded as certainly uh, one of the best in the country, certainly top 10, top 15, wherever you want to put it. Uh, And you've got one of the best players in the country coming in next season in Anthony Edwards. Now, you've coached an NBA all-star future Hall of Famer in Dwayne Wade. So you know all about this. Um, As you approach coaching someone like Anthony Edwards, how do you handle someone with that much talent, with that much hype? Well, I think it's going to be different because the guys that we've had all developed into being those players, and we had a hand in, in helping them get ready for it, where in this case, you're bringing in somebody that's already got so much established nationally, but at the end of the day, the more things change, the more they stay the same. We can't get away from how important it's going to be to develop his complete game to help him learn all the different facets of it that he needs, especially moving without the ball being able to play in a a really intense level on both ends of the floor consistently, helping him change and build his body to get it even stronger, more explosive and quicker, building his range and his shots. So really, really staying true to the development of basketball. But I also think not leaving any stone unturned and how we help him prepare for what it means to be a professional. Because I think 
one of the most overused and undertaught words out there or phrases, I should say, is be a pro, right? Or help him be a pro, or he's got to be a pro. You've got to really teach people what that means. You've got to really teach them with nutrition, with with social media, uh, with how they deal with success, how they deal with weakness, how they deal with people, you know, how they carry themselves, but really the level of work that they've got to put in on their own on a consistent level. And that's where I think we're going to take all the experiences that we've had and try to get them across to him and the other recruits as quick as we can, and I'm really looking forward to it. So I had a very interesting conversation, Tom, I was uh, with Jameer Nelson and TJ Ford, just bumped into them in the workout room in Chicago uh, this past week. And we're talking about retention of these elite players and, you know, how can more guys stay in college basketball? And one thing that they thought, because I thought, you know, maybe they're going to be like, oh, everyone should go and, and all that. But actually, these are two players that stayed, you know, a few years and and reached almost the pinnacle. I mean, Ford led Texas to a Final Four, and Nelson led St. Joe's to that unbelievable season, got to the Elite Eight. Their big thing was they thought that players need to get better when they're on a college campus uh, versus, um, you, you, you know, in terms of the, what you're talking about, being professional and preparing for that. Uh, rather than it always being about the system and all that. And I thought that was an interesting argument because on one side you could say that you have a system, you're the head coach, you're trying to win games for college basketball. Uh, on the other, you need to retain these guys and you need to be make sure that you're true to making them better you know, physically, nutritionally, and making sure that over from one year to the next that they're getting better and being ready to potentially be a professional if they're in that class. How, how do you balance those two where it has to be making sure that they're part of your team, they're part of your system, that you want to help win games at the level they're at now, as well as also trying to help them personally become an NBA player? You can't be afraid to coach them. And not afraid in a uh, shiver and shake sense, but afraid in a, uh, you've got to push them. I mean, you really do. And that's why I say the more things change, the more they stay the same. We've got to really stay built on the development process or we're not going to get those kind of guys because that's, that's how it's got to be for us. And I think if we're helping them really learn basketball and we're helping them learn all the different facets of the game and holding them responsible for it, and, and put them in an environment that's got a really strong atmosphere of working and getting better, we're going to win a bunch of games. I mean, we're going to be a really good basketball team. If we just teach them a system of play, like we're going to run this offense and we're going to do this and that. So we would talk about this all the time at Indiana, and we're going to talk about it more right now. We have a very cerebral, open style of play. It's not based on a system. It's based on concepts knowing how to play now we want to play fast we want to play aggressive we want to shoot the ball at a high rate we want to get a lot of possessions but we're not going to come down and just you just have to know our style of play I don't think that makes guys better basketball players and I think if you're building their skills then there's two things that are happening Andy that are huge you're creating a level of energy for that player okay and you're building a level of confidence in that player for the things that are going to come up even inside of your own team that they don't know are coming. And I would be, I would be really disappointed in myself if a kid walked out of our program and I felt like he only knew how to play the way we want to play. I would think that would be, I would feel bad about that because that would mean we shortchanged that person. And I don't ever want to be accused of that. 
And I think in this day and age, there is no question. I mean, think about what you said. Those are two guys that have done this for a long, long time, collegiately, professionally, and know it from the grassroots level. And they're talking about the focus that it's got to be on the kid to get better. To me, that's a no-brainer. And, and, and I think that's one of the things in college basketball, it's too easy to get somebody and try to fit them into what you're going to do versus helping them really, really get a high level of skill. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to be able to help them get a high level of skill. The other thing, too, that I hope we're working toward this, because uh, we have been in, in the game, is, you know, obviously more and more access to them in the off season. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm actually more of a proponent to take away the restrictions of how many hours a player can work out. If they want to work out, that's great. But on the other side, there should be ownership and responsibility that if you are going to be in the gym for four hours a day, then you got to make sure that whatever your academic requirements are, you take care of those as well. And if you don't, there is a consequence because ultimately you would not be eligible. And so, you know, I'd like us to even shift. We've gotten close to that, but I'd like to go even more to where, you know, if someone wants to get better, let them continue to get better. If they want to be in the gym all night, but at the same time, they have to obviously take care of their academics and not get behind in that. And they have to work on their own time management. They have to make sure that they're doing everything that they need to. How far away are we, you think, where you know, we could be even more ownership on the student-athlete and the player to take care of their own business? And if they want to get better, they can be in there as much as they want, but they got to make sure that they do their other work as well. Well, I think it comes down to the program in a lot of cases. And I think the more that people are traveling or the more that people have other people working them out where travel's included, it can cut into that. But I think... When you're what what college, especially early on, is teaching them a structure. All right, here's the time I've got to be in the academic center. Here's the time of my classes. All right, here's when I'm with my tutor or when I'm in a workshop. Here's the time that I'm going to be in the gym that's required. And then all this other time is there for me to get in there that I can make a choice on, be it social life, be it playing video games, whatever it is. And you've got to help them see that's part of being a professional. If you really, really want to dive into it, you got to manage your time extremely well. And part of that is understanding that you have a ton of responsibilities now that involve you being at your very best. Now, here's where it comes in, Andy. It, 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 the APR, the way it's set up right now, okay? you got to have a 2-6 to get that credit for that player being in your program, right? And, and that sense of that eligibility, especially with all the people that are transferring now and the way the transfer portal is running. There is not a lot of outside factors that are helping you get that 2-6. So let's say, Andy, that you decide you want to transfer, okay? And you're going to transfer to a school that that they're just going to sit you out for the year. They're not going to try to get the waiver. or They're, they're just going to sit you out. They're, that school doesn't care if you get a 2-6. Now, they might care about your credits, but you're not going there with the intention. If anything, they're trying to slow down your graduation, right? Because they don't want to lose you to the next school. There's so many different factors that you've got to deal with and getting somebody to understand how important not only academic structure is, but academic responsibility. So like here, here's how we're doing it. If you're going to transfer, okay, and you want any support at all with a waiver process, well, we need to have the two six because that's serving everybody. That's helping us not lose a scholarship or, or lose a point. That's making sure that you're doing your job academically so that you're transferring with the credits, and it's given you every opportunity to be that much closer to graduation. 
Well, that's going to get harder and harder the more the transferring comes up if there's not a group of people working together on that. So when they come in, the more that you can put them in a structured place of how important this is, right? It is important that you're getting the most out of this tutor. It is important that you're getting the most out of this study session. It is important that you're going in prepared for this class and that you're coming out of it better and keep teaching them that. And at the same time, not take anything away from basketball and really teach them how much time is, is included in a day and how much time is spent wasted on our phone, laying around on a video game, watching TV and how much can be accomplished if you're really organized, because that's part of being a pro. And so I think we're a ways away, but and it's only going to get harder if the APR stays intact the way it is this way. But hopefully there's going to be a happy medium where people are saying, OK, we need to work together so that everybody's benefiting from this, not just the kid that's leaving or not just the school that's receiving them, not just the player that's going pro gets a contract. How does everybody stay intact? And I think it's part of that professionalism. You've got to teach them. All right, let's shift quickly to the rest of your roster here. Uh, in terms of the freshmen first, you got five coming in plus a transfer. Uh, Donnell Gresham from Northeastern, who actually I saw at the beginning of last season, uh, and I think he'll definitely help impact your team. In what way will Edwards impact the game? Well, I think he's going to make the game easier for others. And, and because we're adding to what we have here that's coming back, Rayshon Hammonds will be healthy. Tyree Crump has had a very good offseason. You know, we're, we're trying to build this up so we have more space on the floor. Last year, Andy, we turned the ball over at a really, really high rate. We were last in the league in turnover ratio. We've got to improve that. But at the end of the day, Andy, we missed a ton of open shots. And, and we've got to be able to make those shots. So creating more space on the floor, creating more opportunity to take advantage of that space, Anthony's going to help do that. And in turn, what it's going to do is it's going to get him the ball back in more advantageous situations for him to attack a random closeout, for him to attack a long closeout, for him to get the ball in movement and not just be somebody that has the ball in his hands, has to make a play or make a play for somebody else, but where there's true movement. So everybody that we've recruited, we've recruited with that in mind, that not only can they do things with the ball, they're going to have to be able to do things without the ball to create that five-man level of movement that we've got to have, and they've got to be able to impact the game defensively, whether it's switching, whether it's switching defenses, whether it's on the ball, off the ball, whatever it is, and, and get our pace up because we've got to be able to get our pace and speed up to play the way we want to play. Of the returnees at this juncture, um, who, do you, who do you need to take that next jump for next season for this whole group to make sure that you improve uh, just overall and also within the SEC? Well, I think it, it would start with Nick Claxton. You know, and, and if he comes back, there's no question about it. And if he doesn't, to, and, if he, and if he declares or stays in the draft, then we've got to keep adding – layers of skill to the guys that we have, which we would hope to do already and see if something presents itself in the summertime. But I would start with Nick, but then I would go with Ray Sean Hammonds because he, he was really starting to play well when he got hurt at the end of the year and he got, he broke his foot in the Ole Miss game. And so we, we, we just didn't have him anymore. And, and we got a lot out of him this spring in the four and a half weeks that we were together. Now we're in an off time until they come back in June, he'll come back in June and he should be that much more healthy when it comes to, uh, being able to run, do the things that we have to do, but we've got to get him to play much faster. We've got to be able to him to, to get him to get get it off the dribble that much more, be an even more consistent three point shooter, and really be a leader. And and uh, I would say I would I could go over everybody because you want everybody to improve. You know, your goal at the end of the year 
is that nobody can pick who the most improved player is because so many guys got better. That's my goal, right? But I would start with those two right now, rising juniors, and see how that goes. And at this juncture, if all things being equal, everything, you know, if everyone comes back, they should come back, and everyone improves the way they should, what are the chances that you are going to coach a team that should be in the NCAA tournament? I think a lot of it, I mean, it's what we want. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but I, I think we it's going to really depend on how, first, we got to finish our recruiting. Right now, we definitely have to get somebody that can play up front for us. And, and if Nick leaves, then we've got to look at what's going to be the best scenario for us moving into the summer. And if there's not a best scenario, then we need to hold the scholarship. But we already know that next year is going to be a, re- a big recruiting class as well. When we took Donnell and the fact that we have Jordan Harris and Tyree Crump in the backcourt, and in all likelihood, you only have Anthony Edwards for one year. So to me, it's going to really depend on how consistent our toughness gets, uh, how consistent our making the right decision. You know, we can't, we can't come out and be anywhere near this turnover ratio. Now we're going to turn the ball over some, especially when you have young guys, but we've got to be able to create more turnovers. And this was one of the least deflection oriented teams that I've ever coached in 19 years. I think we averaged 31 deflections. That's not even close to where we've got to be in creating active defense and creating opportunities to score from our defense. So that's got to happen. And then, and then Andy, I think in this league, I think Auburn showed this this year and they were fifth in our league. You've got to have enough guys that really make open shots. You're not going to separate yourself with length. You're not going to separate yourself with guys that can score. And you're not going to separate yourself with rebounding in the SEC. Everybody has that. What you've got to be able to do is you've got to make enough open shots. And we just can't be giving the ball back at the rate we did last year and miss the open shots that we missed. So if we can handle some of that and build some real maturity and toughness, then I'd like our chances. And open shots from a little bit further away, assuming everything gets approved and the three-point line goes back two feet. Well, we work with that line anyways. We we work – the NBA line is down in our practice court permanently. It's not taped down. We have a four-point line that we tape down that, that averages – we usually keep it at about 33 feet. But that's more for spacing, not as much for shooting the ball behind. But there, we spent a ton of time on range this spring – uh, without even knowing that that rule was very likely going to go in. So um, hopefully that doesn't become a shock to our veteran system. It'll be a shock to our rookie system. But we'll work on that from day one. But that NBA line for us has been a permanent fixture since the Indiana days. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. You're very welcome, Andy. Thank you. And thanks for your coverage at the NCAA Women's Tennis Championships and how you covered uh, Jeff Wallace's team with the University of Georgia because it was fun to, to fun to watch it. Well, I appreciate it. He's done a great job, and uh, they just came a little short against Stanford, but the, the future is bright there for Georgia women's tennis, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With everybody back like that, another legendary coach at this school. It's 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 absolutely amazing working in this environment on and, and many levels. All right, thanks, Tom. Thank you, Andy. Up next, a conversation with Adam Zagoria, who's got his own blog, zagsblog.com, also a contributing writer the New York Times, and Forbes will discuss all things college basketball, recruiting, and a little bit more dealing with the Chicago pre-draft camp. He was there this past week. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, my friend Adam Zagoria runs his own blog and has for a long time in zagsblog.com, also a contributor to the New York Times and Forbes. Uh, Adam was in Chicago last week for the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, there still are some outliers, and we'll find out uh, the end of next week 
about players that will end up uh, withdrawing potentially and going back to college. Some will stay in the draft. We're already seeing that. Kenny Wooten from Oregon, he announced he's uh, going to stay in the draft uh, over the weekend. Uh, Grant Williams from Tennessee decided he's going to stay in the draft. So it's probably trending more in that direction that more guys will stay, although we've seen other guys like Najee Marshall go back to Xavier. That was even before the combine. So we'll see. So your impressions at the combine, Adam, first of all, of, of you know, the guys that really stood out to you from what you were able to see the day you were there um, you know, that may have a shot, names that we're familiar with. Yeah, first of all, Andy, thanks for having me on. I mean, um, you know, just as an overview, it's just really quite a scene there in Chicago, especially at the hotel. You know, I posted a picture of the Chicago Hilton, which, by the way, is where they filmed uh, the fugitive scenes with Harrison Ford. But they, you know, it's like you walk around the lobby, they have all the executives are there, the players are coming in for interviews, the media, the agents. So it's really kind of the center of the basketball universe with all of these people converging and, you know, the teams are interviewing players and they're making deals. So it's really something, um, you know, in terms of the combine itself, like obviously the top guys, um, you know, don't even participate or go, you know, Zion and RJ and Darius Garland and those guys. Um, they were there for the lottery, which at least they were in the city of Chicago. But you're right. A lot of times they never even show up. But th- there was a good idea for the NBA to have the lottery in the same city, same hotel as a lot of the combine. Yes. So that's a newer thing that I think works at least to get those big names in the same city because that wasn't happening before. But go on. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about the lottery later if you want. That was certainly interesting. Um, and then, yeah, at the combine, then you have, you know, some guys like Cam Reddish will probably be a top you know, six or eight pick, uh, Jared Culver, um, John Morant, they all spoke to the media at the combine and they do, you know, like interviews and some testing and stuff, but they didn't play five on five. So the five on five is more, you know, second round type guys, guys who are hoping to be in the second round, hoping to be uh, free agent, um, you know, type of guys. And I think some of them help themselves, you know, a guy like Taco Fall, um, Andy, who's, as we know, seven foot six, started out the week at the G league elite camp on Tuesday. And he was one of 10 guys that got bumped up and invited to the main NBA combine later in the week. And, you know, he's a very impressive guy. I I interviewed him. I talked to him. He says he wants to uh, eventually give back to the people in his home country of Senegal. If he makes the NBA, he'd be only the second guy in the NBA now after uh, Gorgie Deng from Minnesota to be in the NBA. So I think he helped himself. You know, he uh, was supposed to work out for the Knicks this week. He's going to get some other workouts. Um, you know, a guy like Tremont Waters is a little undersized, you know, 5'11", six foot from LSU. But he and Naz Reed, both from LSU, are staying in the draft. I, I think uh, Tremont Waters helped himself. You know, probably Grant Williams, you mentioned, from um, Tennessee, kind of a, you know, jack-of-all-trades, shows he can do a little bit of everything, be kind of a glue guy. Uh, played pretty well. Um, you know, it's hard. These are pickup games. You know, they're playing five on five pickup in front of, uh, you know, all 30 NBA teams, you know, Larry Bird and Pat Riley and John Beeline, everybody was there. So it's hard to know how much you can really judge, you know, from five on five games. I think it's just a piece of their overall picture of these guys along with their, you know, the interviews and how they played in college and stuff like that. So one player that didn't get advanced, if you will, from the G League camp to the Combine that's still on the fence is Miles Powell from Seton Hall. Uh, Where do you think 
you know, his decision could land him because he's a player that if he comes back to college, he could be a potential player of the year, certainly could help Seton Hall win a Big East championship. On the other side, you know, he's borderline. Does he get drafted? Does he not? But maybe he makes it the hard way. You know, it's a tough decision for him, and he didn't get advanced. Where do you think he stands? Yeah, he's my guy, so I'm glad you asked him about him. I know he was he was upset that he was not invited to the combine. I think he had 23 points on Tuesday at the G League combine when I was there. He played very well. A bunch of NBA guys guys told me, you know, he could really shoot it. You know, he 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 made a lot of shots, um, but he is you know six two. Um, he's not you know doesn't have great size for an NBA two guard. So the NBA guys told me they wanted to see him go back and and play point guard. And if he does go back to Seton Hall, that'll be interesting because Kevin Willard has Quincy McKnight and Anthony Nelson at the point. Um, Kevin Willard was there supporting Miles during the week, and he told me, "Look, it's it's not just about playing well. You have to get a guaranteed you know roster spot and." You know, all these guys are looking for some sort of guarantee that they're going to be on an NBA team. So I think the smart move for Miles would be to go back to college. Uh, but, you know, he was upset he wasn't picked. You know, Shamori Pons was there. He, he played pretty well, I thought. Controlled the tempo of the game the, the day I was there. Um, you know, he's sort of a borderline, you know, maybe second-round type of guy. But I think he helped himself. He can score in today's NBA where there's spacing and room to score. You know, and then there are other guys that, who weren't there at all. Andy, like a couple of Kentucky guys, Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery. We could talk about that later if you want. But, you know, Kentucky's got some questions about their front court. You know, I'm just curious, Adam, in talking to players, have you heard much about the willingness to take the gamble and, you know, just see if I don't get drafted, see if I can make it in the G League uh, and just take the harder road rather than coming back and being at least ready to be to play, not just necessarily be selected. I mean, look, uh, first of all, I think a lot of these guys are going to end up in the G League or overseas, you know, and you wonder, like you take a guy like Moses Brown, for example, he's a seven foot two guy yeah, from UCLA from here in New York City, you know, went to UCLA for one year, you know, he's 18, 19 years old. You know, I would think he would want to be on the UCLA campus when you're 19 years old with all that that has to offer um, in, in so many ways. And he's going to, you know, if he stays in, he's probably going to end up like in the G league riding around on buses next year or playing overseas. Cause I don't, I don't really see him getting drafted. So, um, you know, I just think some of these guys have to, you know, really maybe don't realize, or, or they're going to realize what they're in store for. You know, the G league is going to be very competitive. It's going to be a lot of good players in it. Some guys just don't want to go back to college and they just, they'll do whatever it takes, you know, G League, go overseas to play. Um, and, I, you know, you hope that some of them, you know, go back to school and work on what they need to work on. Yeah, I, I almost think that there should be like sort of a a shock test, to, you know, where they sort of, you know, show them like the sort of the uh, the unedited version of what life is really like on the road in, in the G League. And I'm not saying it's, you know, like you're playing in uh, – you know, Siberia, but at the same time, it's not what a lot of the high level college players experience in the way in which they travel, the way in which they're treated. It's still, yes, professional, but it is not the NBA. It is a step down. And yes, has it gotten better than the old CBA? Of course it has. But I, I still think that it's romanticized a little bit to a lot of these younger guys that, uh, that they're going to be professional. And to your point, 
you know, they really have to work hard, like harder to make it. And yes, they'd have more time because they wouldn't be doing, they wouldn't be in school, but that doesn't mean you can lie around and play video games. I mean, you really got to work because you're going against people that are actually maybe have families and, you know, this is their job and you're only 18 to 19, maybe 20 years old. And I think there's a little bit more of a reality check that hits a lot of these young men. Um, unfortunately, you know, later after they've made these decisions. Yeah. You know, Mike Smith, who's doing a great job, uh, analyzing players on ESPN, you know, at the draft was telling a story that was, you know, I think he said he worked for the Bakersfield jam or whatever the Bakersfield G league team is a couple of years. And that, you know, Kendall Marshall, was that his name? The point yes. guard from North Carolina, you know, that he came out of North Carolina thinking he was going to be a lottery pick and all this. And I don't even remember what, what was he drafted? You know, he was actually drafted by Phoenix, if I'm not mistaken, but you know, he was bouncing around. Yeah, but so he ends up in the G League in Bakersfield and, you know, Mike Schmitz was kind of talking about how he was, the kid was just like in shock that he, you know, he's end up ends up in a, in a G League outfit riding around on buses. And, you know, I think uh, it's a rude awakening for a lot of these guys. And, you know, really, you know, Jim Beheim, I'm sure he's told you, I've talked to him many times. His position is if you're not drafted basically, you know, in the lottery or the first 20 picks or first round, um, you know, there's really no telling what could happen to you. I mean, there's, um, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of different paths for these guys. Some of them, it'll be smooth. They'll go straight to the NBA and they'll have successful careers. Some of them are going to bounce around, you know, the G League overseas. Um, they're going to have some hard times um, before they make it or if they ever make it at all. And, you know, again, it's just going to be very crowded in the G League, I think. So I want to shift to a little quick recruiting thing uh, because Penny Hardaway has blazed a trail over the last couple of weeks. It's still not over. And as of now, they've got the number one recruiting class in the country. You do a lot of recruiting work. You're, you're in a lot of these gyms. What are you hearing about the appeal outside of the obvious because he's got a good name uh, and was obviously a, a great player before he got hurt uh, as to why suddenly Memphis, you know, is getting it done. Yeah, it's funny. I did a big story on uh, Forbes a couple weeks ago. I sat with Penny for about 10 or 15 minutes at the Nike, uh, you know, longer than that, 20 minutes at the Nike EYBL stop in Atlanta and, did, you know, interviewed him. And first of all, he's wearing, you know, you know, Nike foam posit, like Memphis Tiger sneakers. He had like a green camouflage Memphis baseball hat on. He had a black Memphis hoodie. Um, and some little kid came up to him and said, Oh, I like your backpack, you know? So just the way he dresses is totally different. All the other coaches in the gym, Calipari, Izzo, Coach K, they were all there, you know, and they're wearing sweatsuits or, or suits or, you know, athletic wear, but he looks or the standard golf shirt. Yeah. He looks completely unlike any of these other coaches. He dresses unlike them. His style is unlike them. He looks like uh, a six foot nine, you know, grown up you know, big kid and the kids, you know, love his style and, you know, love the, the foam posit shoes and everything. And you combine that with the fact that he, you know, was an NBA all-star played in the NBA, you know, he, he coached James Wiseman in high school in AAU. Then he got James Wiseman, the projected number one pick in 2020 to Memphis. So all of that sort of rolled together. And now he told me he's trying to get all these kids to recruit each other. And this was, a month ago, he said, we have four scholarships left. We really want to get like four or five star guys, you know, and they end up getting, um, you know, they end up getting Lester Canones, Precious Achua, 
was the transfer they got um, Rajon Tucker. So, um, you know, Boogie Ellis, who was committed to Duke. So he really closed out the recruitments, you know, really well. And I said, look, there are going to be big expectations for you here. You know, it's kind of like Duke with Zion. People thought it was a failure. They didn't make the Final Four. And LSU with Ben Simmons and Washington with Markel Fultz didn't make the NCAA tournament. And he said, oh, I know. We embrace these expectations. You know, it means you have a good team if you have these players. So he's going to have his work cut out for him there because they have a lot of guys who need to touch the basketball, get shots, you know, the guys we mentioned, plus some guys coming back. And uh, you really only have, you know, six months with these guys before – you know, Wiseman and Precious are projected lottery picks. So they're going to be the, you know, real sexy team next year, the way Kentucky and Duke has been in past years. And there'll be a lot of pressure on them to make the tournament and go deep. Well, I think it'll be great for the game. Anytime we can, you know, rekindle the old blood, get some new blood in there uh, to push the uh, traditional blue bloods. Uh, I think it's great. And it gives, uh, you know, I think we'll, we'll all be making a track at least at some form, either to Memphis or catching the Tigers somewhere. All right, before I let you go, Adam, uh, there is a major job. Just, where I, just real quick, if I could just add there, you know, you also have Andy now. You have Jerry Stackhouse yes. coaching at Vanderbilt and Rick Barnes coaching at Tennessee. So you have, you know, two former NBA guys in Stackhouse and Penny. So there's, you know, not that Vanderbilt and Memphis are necessarily going to be recruiting the same kid, but there's going to be a lot of, you know, healthy competition in Tennessee with those programs. No, you're right. I mean, it is, I mean, those three together uh, definitely have raised the bar in the state of Tennessee. And two of them are in the same league in the SEC. All right, so there's a major job that's open. It broke last Monday, John Beeline going to Cleveland Cavaliers. So the Michigan job is open. Uh, look, this could change as we're taping this on Monday in 24, 48 hours of the end of the week. Uh, the Detroit Free Press reported a couple names, and I had thrown these names out there. Actually, I didn't throw one of them out there. I definitely threw out Ed Cooley from Providence. They're reporting that he's going to be talked to. Laval Jordan and then the assistants, Luke Yaklich and, and Sadie Washington from Michigan, Laval Jordan at Butler, who coached under John Beeline and is from the state of Michigan, but he played and now at Butler now is the head coach at Butler. The other name is Juwan Howard. I didn't mention him in large part because I didn't think they'd go down the road. They're definitely going to talk to him. There's been this groundswell, obviously, among some former Fab Fivers, uh, Jay Williams from ESPN. Um, I will say this two Jay, things. Jalen Rose. Yeah, Jalen Rose, obviously, is a former Fab Fiver. So one thing I will say, say is that if, you know, we'll see how it would work if he were to get the job. Um, he's obviously done what I think you have to do, which is be an assistant. And even if it's in the NBA college, it doesn't matter, rather than just getting it handed to you. So that's great. And obviously he's got a lot of respect, and we'll see if he gets an NBA head coaching job. If this doesn't work out, he's on that track. The only thing I take issue with, and I did see, I think, you know, Jay Will did tweet this, um, but there is a perception that they need to change the culture at Michigan. Right. And I just, I'm sorry. I can't let that lie. The culture of Michigan has been great. Okay, they win. They develop players. There are plenty. Of, there may not be McDonald's All-Americans, which you don't necessarily need. Okay, you just need players who become pros. You de There's no question. You need pros to win a national championship but they don't have to come in as pros. I mean, we've seen that, you know, Virginia just did it and they're going to have guys that are going to be in the NBA and Deandre Hunter, maybe Jerome and guy, obviously Villanova, same thing. Jalen Brunson wasn't a lock as a pro. When he came out, he became a pro. Uh, Jared Culver, they played in the title game. Same deal. Wasn't now is. So you don't need that. And the culture has been great. 
So that is one thing I just take an issue with. Uh, I'm curious your opinion on that. And then if if he actually goes down the road, um, because Cooley is so ingrained in the city of Providence at PC and all that, what you would think if they went after Ed Cooley in a serious manner and actually, you know, were able to get him? Yeah, great questions. Well, I'll start with the uh, Fab Five Jalen Rose stuff. I wrote a story about him um, the other day because he spoke on, uh, I guess it was, you know, first take or, or get up or whatever. And he, you know, Jalen Rose did a full-throated endorsement of Jawan Howard and, you know, which is fine. He's his buddy and his guy, but then he kind of went the extra step and said, you know, I have nothing against John Beeline. John Beeline's done a great job. He's been to two title games, but you know, we had zero McDonald's all Americans during John Beeline's tenure. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, they got to two title games without those guys. And he obviously developed, you know, and recruited a lot of talent you know, Trey Burke and uh, Iggy Brazdikas and all these other guys. Uh, last time I checked, by the way, Adam, uh, Karis LeVert was a huge factor for the Brooklyn Nets. Yes. Right. All these guys who were not McDonald's All-Americans. But um, so that was sort of interpreted in a lot of ways on the Twitter. You know, what is he saying? Is he saying that, you know, uh, you know, is this is he saying Michigan should start paying for players? Basically, some people joked or, you know, just kind of ripping on Beeline. And, you know, it's a whole question of whether the University of Michigan, to what extent do they want to embrace the Fab Five? And, you know, they, they, I mean, let's let's call it what it is. The Fab Five, you know, they, they didn't win a national championship. They obviously got to the NCAA championship game. Um, they never won it. So it's a question of, you know, how much, you know, and obviously there's a lot of other controversy there with, you know, whether some pairs were played and, you know, the Chris Weber situation. But, uh you know, Jalen Rose obviously is all about the Fab Five. And so, you know, he wants to kind of return to that era when all those guys can show up on campus and stand on the sideline. And, you know, he I think he wants sort of what, what Kentucky has and maybe what Memphis is getting now uh, at Michigan. You know, that said, I think, you know, everyone agrees Juwan Howard's a good man and a uh, good coach. He's never been a head coach. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. As far as Ed Cooley, you know, great coach, very charismatic guy. I did also talk to him in Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, he's very sort of willing to talk about the how many African-American coaches are out there. And he pointed out that when Mike Anderson was hired at St. John's, the Big East is now 50%. You know, five out of the 10 coaches in the Big East are African-American. And he rattled off all the other leagues and said, you know, I think the SEC only has two and went through all the other major leagues and none of them were close to the big East. So obviously if, uh, I mean, I'm not sure we'd have to go through the big 10, but you know, he would be another African-American head coach in the big 10 if he were hired. Yeah. It'd be interesting because uh, it'd be more money, you know, obviously has not coached in the big 10 or that part of the country, but I don't think that necessarily matters. Just like the Mike Anderson thing we've talked about before, uh, but he is just so ingrained in Providence because he's from there, loves the city. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we should maybe know later in the week. All right, Adam, great stuff. Love having this conversation. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right, we got to do a tennis podcast soon, Andy. Yes, that's my second favorite. <laughs> All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance... 
Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.